Well, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter five, okay? John chapter five. And if you're here, maybe you're over in the, the venue, I'm glad you're with us. Uh, maybe you're watching online or whatever. If you don't own a copy of the Word of God, it would really be our honor to, um, to get you one. All you gotta do is walk into the altar room here or the altar room over in the venue or just show up to the office here this week and we'll give you your own copy of the Word of God. Just won't charge anything. We just wanna put the, the Word of the Lord into your hands so you can bring it to church and you can take notes and you can highlight things. When you study the Word of God at home on your own, you can write things down or whatever. And so if you don't own a, a Bible, we, we, we'd love to give you one. Today, all the verses will come up on the jumbotrons or they'll be in your, um, your notes. We're in a series where we're going through the, the Gospel of John together, and I want you to look at verse one. John chapter five, verse one. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jew, Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish Leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. And the scripture tells us that sometimes we experience sickness because of sin. It's not always true, but sometimes we do. Apparently that's what Jesus is saying here. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders, that it was Jesus who had healed him. So here we have this man who for 38 years, some of you aren't even 38 years old, for 38 years, he gets up in the morning, crawls out to this pool, I've actually been to this very place where this happened and he'd wait there all day long. And the people there believed that when the waters were troubled, whoever got into that pool first, they would be healed of whatever disease they might have had. 
And when the waters would bubble, or some of your Bibles say the waters would be troubled, he'd do his best to scurvy over and get into the water, but somebody always beat him to it. And so that at night, he would scurvy home. Maybe he'd just stay the night right there. 38 years, there's no ADA. There's no, you know, fancy schmancy wheelchairs. There's no, you know, uh, uh, elevator lifts to get you up. There's no sloped sidewalks. For 38 years, this guy shows up at this pool hoping to be cured. This guy never gave up. And as I was reading this, I thought about my own life, and, and I'm gonna direct a question to you that, that I kind of wrestle around with. Is there something in your life that you um, have been praying for? Maybe the salvation of a loved one, a spouse, salvation of your children, salvation of your parents, Salvation of someone that you work with and, and, and you've been praying and praying and praying, you know, and nothing. Maybe you have a physical ailment like the man in our story. And you've been praying and, and praying and, and praying that, that somehow, some way, you might experience some sort of miracle. And as of today, Nothing. And maybe, maybe you gave up. Maybe. I remember praying for my father when I gave my life to Christ and to begin this process of praying for your loved ones. And I was basically the first one in my family to surrender my life to the Lord and I begin to pray and I'm praying for my father and I'm praying for my father and I'm praying for my father and you know a year goes by and, and two years go by and five years go by and eight years go by and 10 years go by and 12 years go by and 15 years go by and to be honest with you there came moments where I gave up it's like come on I've been praying for 15 16 17, 18, 19 years? Maybe, maybe just me talking about this has triggered something in your mind, something you prayed for for a long time, and you said, you know what, Grandpa's never coming to faith in the Lord. Never, not gonna happen. My, my dad is so hardened to the things of the Lord, there's, there's no way he, he, he'd, he'd come to church. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is. I just know that as I read this story over and over again this week, I, it was somewhat impressive that this guy for 38 years kept going to this pool hoping that he'd get in before somebody else did. Just never gave up. Here's what I want to do. I, I want to make three comments about the story, and it's not a comprehensive list of all the things that are in this story. You've got to do your own homework, okay? I, I could 
preach on any one of these little vignettes of the life of Jesus that we're going through you know, for months and never covered all. But I do wanna talk about three things, and, and it's the first one that's the most weightiest one to me. I'm gonna spend the most amount of time on the first one and then just quickly make a couple of comments about the other ones. And the first one is this, that God knows everything that's going on in your life. Look at verse six. When Jesus saw him and knew, he knew, he knew he had been ill for a long, long time. Now you need to understand something super important. When Jesus came and was born in that little town called Bethlehem, he voluntarily gave up a, a number of his divine privileges when he took on the form of a human being. And one of them was he wasn't going to be omnipresent. He could only be one place at one time. Here he was in Jerusalem, which means he wasn't up in the Galilee area which means he wasn't in Bethlehem, which means he wasn't at the River Jordan, which means he, he, he wasn't you know, uh, anywhere else. He wasn't in Cana. He was in Jerusalem. He could only be one place at one time. And he could only look at one person in the eye. And here comes this moment where he walks into this place that's full of a lot of people needing a miracle and he's stepping over people and there's a blind man over there and there's another blind man there and over here's somebody who's lame who can't walk and over there's somebody who's, who's crippled and paralyzed and, and he's making his way through the crowd and then he locks on to one guy because that's all he could do. He, he saw the man. And not only did he see the man, he knew everything about him. Knew him. And that word knew implies that Jesus had a supernatural knowledge or a supernatural understanding of this man's entire life. He knew him. Today, Jesus isn't down here on planet Earth, is he? He's in glory. Today, he can lock on to you and 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 to me. He can lock eyes with all of us at one time. He's no longer, you know, confined to this human flesh that he had. So today, just like this man in our story, he knows you, he sees you. And not only does he see you, he knows you. He knows everything there is to know about you right now, everything. Just like he did this man. He knows exactly what you're going through right now. And some of you walked in here with some great burdens. He knows about them. I may not know about them. The guy sitting next to you may not know about them. Your spouse might not even know about them. He knows about them. 
You may have walked in here and everything's great today. You know what? He knows. He knows you're having a great day. He knows, man, that breakfast you had this morning, you really enjoyed that. He knows. He knows why you're going through it. Jesus knew why this man was in the condition that he was in. Apparently it had something to do with sin. He knew. And he knows exactly what you need to overcome it. That's how great Jesus Christ is. He saw this man. And not only did he see him, he knew everything there was to know about him. Knew. Now, I think this would be a good moment for me to, to kind of take a little bit of a rabbit trail. Because I think this story um, gives us um, a moment to maybe talk about a real critical theological truth. Okay, so, so we're going to take a little bit of a, a rabbit trail. Psalms chapter 147 says this. Our Lord is great and very powerful. There is no limit to what he knows. That, that's a theological truth. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. The big $10 word that theologians use is that he's omniscient. God is omniscient. He, he knows everything. God is all-knowing. There's no question that he can't answer. There's no problem that confuses him. There's nothing that surprises him. He's never caught off guard by something. He's never shocked. God knows absolutely everything there is to know about everything, including you. He's all-knowing. Now let me just maybe dig down a, a, a little deeper here. I want you to know a, a, a few things that God knows. Number one, God knows everything there is to know about creation. Genesis 1.31 says, God looked. He looked over all that he had made. And he saw that it was very good. That's an amazing statement. That God looked over everything he had made. I can look right here. Oh, all right, now I'm here. Oh, lost them. Okay, no, lost them. He's looking at it all. He saw everything. He saw every rock, every tree, every fish, every bird, every animal, every star, every grain of sand, every blade of grass. He saw everything. He was totally aware of everything. Psalms chapter 50 says, I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. He knows every bird. He knows them. He knows them. Psalms chapter 147 goes on and says, he counts the stars, and not only does he count them, but he's also given them names, so to speak. That's how intimately he is involved in his creation. I know exactly how many of them are out there. God says, I, I know. And not only that, I want you to know, I gave them all names. 
Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, two sparrows only cost a penny, but not even one of them can die without your father knowing it. God even knows how many hairs are on your head. Two, two little tiny birds, not worth much. When one of them drops, he knows. Why? Because he's all-knowing. He knows everything there is to know about creation. Number two, or maybe the second thing that God knows everything about is this, is that God knows everything about history. He's all-knowing. Knows everything there is to know about history. Proverbs 13 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. In other words, the Lord sees what's happening everywhere. He knows the past, he knows the present, he knows the future. He, he knows everything that has happened, he knows everything that is happening you know, right now, and he knows everything that will happen. And not only that, but here's where you know, your mind gets blown, he knows everything that could have happened, but doesn't, and he knows about everything that can happen, but won't. Uh, whatever, whatever. Beloved, well, God knows the scope of history from beginning to end. God said this to the great prophet Isaiah, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Doesn't that bother some of you? That he doesn't do what you want? You know what? He does whatever he wants. That's what, that, that, that's what God does, whatever he wants. So God knows everything there is to know about creation and he knows everything there is to know about history. And the last one I'll share with you is this, okay? There's others, but this third one I'll, I'll share with you kind of takes us back to our story in John chapter five. Number three, the, the third thing that God knows is everything about you. He knows all about creation. He knows all about history. But he knows about you. Everything there is to know about you. Psalms 139 says, You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was re recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Wow, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Beloved, because God is all-knowing, he knows everything there is to know about you. Everything. Here's another question, ready? How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel that God knows everything there is to know about you? I want you to know, this past week, I was super uncomfortable with that thought. I sat in my office on more than one occasion and just went, wow, wow. You see, I got a few things I just wish God didn't know. 
I got some things that I don't want anybody to know. I don't want you to know. I'm sure you got some things in your life that, you know what, man, I sure hope no one ever knows them. And you can keep things from me and I can keep things from you. You can keep things from your spouse. You can keep things from your parents. But because God is all knowing, he knows. He knows it all. Proverbs chapter five says, the Lord sees everything you do and watches everywhere you go. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty hairy, isn't it? <laughs> now, hey, I want you to know, I, I go a lot of great places. I'll say about 98.6% of the time, I'm going good places, I'm fine, I'm golden. I'm glad he's watching me, I'm good, I'm good. Unfortunately, there are times when I think some pretty, pretty crummy things. There are times when I, I say some things that I just go, wow, really? That just came out of my mouth? That's crummy. There's times that I don't always love the way God wants me to love. I don't always show compassion the way God wants me to show compassion. I don't always extend mercy the way God wants me to extend mercy. Maybe the best way of saying it is, is I don't always treat others the way I'd want to be treated. Oh, you, you don't see it. You, you're not looking at it. You don't see it. Not you. My spouse may not see it. He does. He sees it all. He knows it all. Everything you think, everything you see, everything you do, everything you feel, God sees it all. He knows all about it. In fact, let me tell you this, God knows all about your sin. <laughs> he knows all about it. Psalm 69 says, oh God, you know how foolish I am. My sins cannot be hidden from you. The psalmist understands about God being all-knowing. You can hide your sins from somebody else, you just can't hide them from God. He knows all about your sin. And I don't know about you, as I just said, but that just makes me uncomfortable. I don't feel good about the fact that he knows it all. Now here's an important fact that you need to know and hang on to, and that is this, is that God's not shocked by your sin. He's all-knowing. He knows the past, the present, the future. He knows it all. And so when you sin or I sin, God doesn't go, whoa! Hold on here, man. I didn't see that coming. Man, that came out of left field. That guy's like one of my, my star, you know, disciples down there on planet Earth. Can't believe that guy or that gal just said that or did that or went there. That, that's crazy. He's not shocked. God already saw it before you ever did. He knew you were gonna sin before you ever did it. Now knowing this, 
Knowing that God knows everything about your sin and he's not shocked by it, what should your response be to this truth? Your response really should just be honesty. Just, just be honest with God about your life. John, 1 John chapter 1 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. You're only fooling you. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Look, since he knows all about your sin, just be honest with him. Since he knows all about your sin, you know, just you know, get on your knees and say, God, would you forgive me? Man, I used some crummy language or I said something really crummy and hateful and hurtful to my spouse. Oh man, God, I'm so sorry I said that to my friend. Oh God, I, man, I don't know what I was thinking when I did that. Oh God, please forgive me because he already knows it anyway. So why not just be honest about it? Now you need to be careful who you're honest with down here. There is value and it's a biblical principle to confess your sins to one another, but you gotta use some wisdom about who you're gonna share some of your, your sins with. You just don't wanna share it with anybody because they can go post it on Facebook. <laughs> and some do. So you gotta use a lot of wisdom about who it is that you're sharing your life with because there is value in confessing sin down here. But ultimately, he already knows it anyway, right? He's all knowing. He walked into that crowd, locked eyes with that guy, and knew him. He's already locked on to you. So why not be honest with him? Why not confess your sin? Quit, quit hiding all your sin. You're not hiding it from him. And he's the one that ultimately matters. When David blew it with Bathsheba, he makes that great declaration against thee and thee only have I sinned. That's, that's where the sin was. And so be honest about your sin. Proverbs 28 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they'll receive mercy. And that word prosper has nothing to do with money. A lot of sinful, evil, wicked people are millionaires. But I'll tell you what, when you live in sin, you, ultimately, ultimately, you don't prosper. But when you do, when you confess your sins to him, you know what you find? A merciful God, a God of compassion, a God of love. You, you, you don't, he already knows about it anyway. Second thing that God knows about you is this, is that God knows all about your faithfulness. Yeah, he knows about your sin, and you know, I don't know, it's not a crummy thing, but, but this is a good one. He knows all about your faithfulness. One of the things that always, always tends to escape my, my memory is this idea that since God knows it all, he sees when I'm faithful. He's watching. Every time you make the choice not to sin, God sees it. Every time you make the choice uh, to not, you know, be led into some crummy temptation, God, God sees it. 
Every time you choose not to gossip, God sees it. Every time you make the choice not to grumble and complain, God sees that. Every time you make the choice to, to be positive instead of negative, God sees that. Every time you make the choice to stand for some you know, biblical conviction, God sees that. God sees your faithfulness. Every time you share Jesus Christ with someone, God sees it. Every time you put your offering in that little green bag, God sees it. Every time you encourage somebody, God sees it. Every time you compliment somebody, God sees it. Everybody, every time you give somebody an attaboy, a hip hip hooray, God sees that. Every time you stuff the program here at church or set up chairs here at church or walk the parking lot or sing in the choir or hold a, a baby in the nursery or, or mentor a teenager or get on a bus and go and mentor kids at camp like is happening right now. Anytime you do those things, God sees it. I may not see it. Others may not see it. But God sees it. Yeah, he sees your sin, and that's a horrible thing, so just be honest about it. But since God is all-knowing, he sees your faithfulness. And the Bible says not only does he see it, but he'll reward your faithfulness. He'll reward it. Every kind act, every kind deed, every kind thought, everything, God sees it. And the word says you'll be rewarded for it. God will reward every good deed, no matter how insignificant it seems to you or anybody else. God sees it all, which is a, a tremendous motivator for a follower of Christ, right? To just continue to be faithful. God doesn't, you know, look down and go, hey, you know, that, that act is way more weighty than this act. Look, he, he sees it all. He sees your faithfulness and he's gonna reward you so how do you respond to, to this truth, the fact that he sees all your faithfulness? Well, your response should be, look, don't give up doing good. Don't give up. He, he's going to reward you for it. Listen to what Galatians chapter 6 says. So let us not get tired of doing what is good. Right, it can be tiring doing what is good, right? At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. If we don't give up, don't give up. Be faithful. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, but especially those in the family of faith, especially those that are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. We, 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 we need to have a love and a unity and a caring that just is crazy. But that doesn't mean we don't care about others too, but it ought to begin right here. It ought to begin with our, our own church family. So God sees your sin, so just be honest about it with him. God sees your faithfulness, so keep doing good. Just keep it up. And the third thing that God knows about you, and it gets us back to our story once again, is God knows all about your troubles. He knows all about your pain, all about your sorrows. He knows that you've been dealing with something for a long time. Maybe like this man, you've been hoping for a miracle for a year or two or three or five. Maybe it's 38 years. Maybe you're thinking, dude, that 38 years, you kidding? I passed that by 10 years ago. It's been 48 years for me. I've been hoping for a miracle for 48 years. God sees it all. 
Psalms 31 says, I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love for you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. That is truth, that's what God's word says. The psalmist understood a truth that God sees our troubles, he sees our pain, he sees our sorrows, he sees these things that we deal with, he sees them and he cares about them cares about them deeply. There's great imagery found in Psalms chapter 56. It says, you, that's God, keep track of all my sorrows. Man, I got a bunch of sorrows over 57 years. <laughs> Just keep track of mine after 57 years. It had to be amazing. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And here's this idea that every time I shed a tear for something, some pain, some sorrow, something going on in my life, a friend that was going through bad times or whatever, that God was collecting my tears and they're in a bottle. And not only does he have this bottle, you know, somewhere, but he's literally recorded all those moments. That's how intimately involved he is in my life, the troubles of my life. Yes, he knows all about my sin. He knows about my faithfulness and yours. But beloved, just like this man found in our story in John chapter five, he knew everything about this man. He knows everything about you and he cares deeply. Now does he have a shelf full of everybody's tears on, you know, probably not. I think he's just given us a, a, an imagery here of how intimately involved is he, he is in our lives. Now we can feel like he's not, I get that. There are many times I feel like God doesn't know what's going on in my life. Or I feel like he doesn't care. There are many times it's, God, you know, hello. You remember me? I know there's, you know, seven billion people on the planet, but can you, here I am. I feel like he, he's not listening. But I have to go to a higher place than my feelings. As I always tell you, you can't, you can't educate your feelings. Your feelings have no IQ. It's the truth, capital T, that sets us free. Not, not our feelings. No, I'm thankful for my feelings. But I don't, I don't live my life based upon my feelings. I live my life based upon the truth, and the truth is, is this, is that God is all-knowing. Yeah, he knows my sin, and he knows when I'm faithful. But he also knows my troubles, and that's the reality. And that's why when I feel a certain way, I, I gotta, uh, gotta go from here, get it up in here. Because the truth is, he cares, he cares deeply. There's no hurt that goes unnoticed by God. He knows when someone you love dies, he knows when you lost your job, he knows the pain that that divorce caused. He knows about your teenager that's gotten off track. He knows about your dad who's gone sideways. He knows about your inability to, I don't know, get pregnant and the sorrow that that has caused. He knows all about your troubles. So how should you respond to that? Well, you ought to respond with giving him all your troubles. Keep going to him with it. 
Peter said in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, give all your worries and cares to God. Why? Why would I do that? Because he cares. He, he's got, you know, your tears in a bottle. He's got some book there written with all the bummers that have happened in your life. Go to him with it. Hey, look, he knows all about your sins, so just be honest. He knows about your faithfulness, so keep doing good. And he knows about all your troubles, so don't just go to him with your sin. Go to him with your troubles. Keep going to him. Keep spending time with him. Psalms 142 says, when I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. And when the troubles of life come, and they will, some of you I know have gone through a lot of troubles. Your book of sorrows is bigger than others. But we all have a book. And when the troubles of life come, look, you just go to him. Give him the troubles. Because he's the one who ultimately can lead you and guide you and help you navigate through those crummy times. So God knows all about your sin and you know, he knows all about your faithfulness. He knows all about your troubles. Now the second thing that, that I want to share as it relates to the story is this, and I'm just going to fly through these next two. The, the, the first one was the most important one, that Jesus is locked on to you. He sees you and he knows you. He's all knowing and he cares about what's going on in your life. That, that, that's, that's the main thing I wanted you to get from this story. If you only get that, that was my goal. Now there's a whole lot more in the story, but that was my main thing. I wanted to spend the most amount of my time there, but I, I do want to share two other things just real, real quickly. Number one, or, or number two, always do whatever God tells you to do. Yes, Jesus knows all about you. He's locked on to you. He's, he's all-knowing, but, but here's the second major point. Just do whatever God tells you to do. Look, look at verse eight. Jesus told this guy, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. That's what Jesus told the guy to do. One of the interesting things about the story is, is Jesus goes to the guy and says, hey, you want to get well? And he fumbles the answer. He doesn't answer the question. I can't. Every time that waters get troubled, I can't get in. Jesus didn't ask that. And one of the things I love is Jesus doesn't go, you know what, pal? I've had it with you. I could have locked on to anybody I wanted to lock on to. Look at all these lame people. But, but you blew it. I asked you if you wanted to get better. You don't even answer the question. So I'm moving on. Jesus doesn't do that. You want to get well? I can't. Can't get in the thing. Just pick up your mat, will you? What if the guy wouldn't have done it? Oh, I'm not going to pick up my mat. I've been here 38 years. I can't get into the water. Aren't you glad he did what Jesus told him to do? As crazy as it might have sounded. He just did it. And I want to encourage all of you. Listen, whatever God calls you to do, just do it. Just do it. Now, obviously, you got to ask yourself, well, how, how do we hear God's voice today? 
Well, folks, primarily it's right here. This is how we hear the voice of the Lord today. When you're reading the word, when you're studying the word, meditating on the word, memorizing the word, maybe you're at a men's Bible study, maybe you're at a woman's Bible study, maybe you're in your home group. When, when you read the word of God, you're hearing the voice of God. Just like this man who had been lame for 38 years, he's hearing the voice of Jesus. He's hearing the voice of God. When you are in the word, it's almost as if you're like that guy, 38, you know, lame for 38 years who actually heard the voice of God. You're hearing the voice of God and whatever God says, just do it. Some of it won't make sense. Guarantee it. Some of it, you're not going to like. But if God speaks to you through his word, then just do it. And who knows what may happen when you read something and go, if that's what God's word says, then I'm just going to do it. And you kind of pick up your mat and start moving. Who knows what might happen in your life? Who knows? We, we, we come in here and talk about God's word. And here, here's the thing. I can't make you do anything. can't. What I can do is encourage you and read the word and share some thoughts. And Man, my prayer is you just go, okay. Man, that doesn't make any sense to me. That just seems weird. The world doesn't say that. The world teaches something else. I learned something different when I was in high school. I learned something different when I was in college. Yeah. God's word has said this. Just, just do it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says all scripture, all of it, every bit of it, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation, every bit of this, every single word in here, all scripture, all 39 books in the Old Testament, all 27 books in the New Testament, all of it, every single bit of it is inspired by God, it's God breathed. The Holy Spirit supernaturally came upon the writers and they wrote the very words that God wanted them to write. Obviously they wrote it in their own personalities. And it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it the word of God to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is God's will for us. This. And the last thing I'll say as we kind of wrap this up, um, and they kind of goes hand in hand with number two. You just need to be ready you know, just to expect to be criticized for doing what God tells you to do. Look at verse nine. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up a sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. 
So the Jewish leaders, literally right out of the gate, this is the first time in this guy's life he ever obeyed Jesus, and he doesn't even know who Jesus is really at this moment. He's just obeying the word of the Lord, and bam, he's getting it. He's getting kidney punched. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. They're making stuff up. That might have been in their law, but it wasn't in God's law. This is unbelievable. These guys had seen that man for 38 years. We'll call him Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy's been laying there for 38 years. 38 years they've heard him gripe and grumble and complain because it couldn't get into the water before somebody else got in the water. For 38 years they've watched Jimmy, you know, crawl to the pool. For 38 years they've watched Jimmy, you know, crawl home. For 38 years Jimmy's been out there begging, you know, for money and food. 38 years they've watched this guy. He's stinky, he's smelly, his clothes are crummy. And here he is, walking. And instead of, whoa, yes, this is unbelievable. Tell us what happened. This is crazy. This is like miracle. Hey, you can't carry that, Matt. Who told you you could do that? He's being persecuted, literally. Literally. Guy had his first encounter with Jesus. 10 seconds later, he's already being persecuted. And let me just tell you something. When you make the choice to do what the Word of God says, when you listen to the voice of God, buckle your seatbelt. People are going to come after you, especially in the culture we live in today. You're not, you're not going to be very popular. There's going to be all kinds of people that are going to confront you on going to church, especially church like Big Valley, one that teaches the word, encourages you to live by the word. You're going you're, you're to take some punches. You just got to be ready for it. The great apostle Paul said this, in 2 Timothy chapter three, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, everybody who listens to the voice of God and lives it out in their life will be persecuted. It doesn't say might be persecuted, it doesn't say that. You will be persecuted. Just like this man in our story. When you make the choice to live out this let this be the, your, your moral compass, if you will, in life. There are people out there that don't like it. All, all you do is remind them of their sin. The reason why they want to shut down churches like this and silence places like this is because we remind the wicked of their sin. And when churches like this and people like you stand for the word of God, it just reminds them of their sin and they've got to somehow silence us. 
so that they can just go on living in their sin. And no one's there to remind them of a holy and righteous God who loves them deeply yet is under their wrath. And if they can't silence a church like Big Valley Grace, if they can't silence people to, you know, who live like Christ, and what they'll do is they'll just create a God, they'll create a church that simply tolerates their sin. Whew. Man, I can go in there and they're golden with how I choose to live. I can surround myself with people who are okay with my sin. The, the person at the pulpit is okay with my sin. In fact, the whole denomination is okay with my sin. Man, I feel good in here. And then they get out and they see posts from godly people about sinful things, evil things, wicked things. They know that there are people who believe in this who are simply gonna follow what Jesus said and wow. Oh no, that's right, there are people out there that are reminding me of a holy and awesome and righteous God. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. In other words, blessed are those who are persecuted because they simply hear the voice of God and live it out. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Remember, people aren't angry with you. It's the God that you love. It's the God that you talk about. It's the God that you honor with your life. That's who they're ultimately angry at. He goes on and says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Once again, Jesus doesn't say, well, if you're persecuted, he says, when you're persecuted. When? So, just, just kind of buckle your seatbelt. Let, 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 me, let me end with this. Um, if you claim to know Christ as your savior, you, you, you claim that, you know what, I recognize I was a sinful person and I recognize I couldn't save myself. I recognize that I was doomed. I recognize, you know, God opened my eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ and who he was and that he died on a cross for my sins and that he was buried and three days later he was resurrected, offering life to anybody that would put their trust in him. I've done that. and you're not being persecuted. I wonder what that means. Because Jesus says you will be persecuted. C could it mean that you just kind of go along with the flow? Could it mean that really you're not living it out? That you don't stand for truth? And therefore, why would you be persecuted? Why would anybody say anything crummy about you? 
It either means you're going along with the flow or it could mean that maybe you're spending way too much time with believers. And so all your time was with believers. Nothing wrong with being with believers. I spent a lot of time with believers, trust me. But maybe, maybe the point is, is you gotta get out there and mix it up with those that don't know Christ and be salt and light out there. Because if you're not being persecuted, I don't know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm not, I might be making too much of it, maybe I am. But I don't know how somebody could live a God-honoring life in this culture today and not be persecuted for their faith. But that's difficult. It's difficult. Here's a, here's a guy in sweaty clothes. He's just, he stinks for 38 years. He's got his deal. And here are these guys dressed up in unbelievable clothing. The religious leaders. The Pharisees. He, he's, a, he's a literal nobody. And here are the somebodies of the culture. What are you doing carrying around those, that mat? You can't do that. Well, I mean, all I know is that guy told me to do it and that's all that I'm doing. I mean, you know what? He doesn't go, oh, sorry, and throw his mat and, you know, fall on the ground. He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't care. He's being persecuted because he's following the orders of the master. And you need to expect that. All right, everybody stand up. Over in the venue, let's stand and let me pray and um, we'll go. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. I, I have enjoyed this. I have enjoyed the music this morning. I look forward to next hour. Man, it was great. Just great to be in here. The great fellowship. It was a great time to have our gals stand. I'm so thankful for Gretchen and her love for you, Jesus, and pours over into a love for the church, especially the gals. I'm thankful, God, for your goodness to us. I'm thankful, God, that you know us deeply and you care about us deeply. Give us a great afternoon, Lord, and I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord, bless you. Okay, live for Christ.